definitely clarify your goals. So you need to know where you want to be, why you want to get there, what impact is it going to have on your family if you accomplish it. And once you really nail down your goals, know where you want to go, just take that first step to get there. You don't have to see the whole thing. You don't have to know how it's all going to work out. Just know the direction you want to go and take the first step. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. All right, welcome everybody. Your host for today's episode of the podcast is not Chad Harris. Instead, we have a great guest, Chris Mayfield out of Phoenix, Arizona. He was interviewed and got to tell his story a few episodes back. I believe it was episode 31. And he is back today to be the guest host and facilitate the interview. So welcome, Chris. Hey, Chad, thanks for having me. Um, it's always good to be around you since the first time I met you in February uh, back in Oklahoma City pre-COVID when we were all just hanging out, <laughs> breathing on each other. It was like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, uh, Chris Mayfield, you can find me on Instagram, KGREI. Uh, love what I do. Or just, you know what, follow the interview. Chad interviewed me a couple weeks ago. Uh, go check that out. Uh, blessing just to get to to talk and uh, converse. And, and I, I'm excited about this because now I get to be uh, the interviewer and let you be the interviewee. So, yeah. Chad, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um in the sense of, of how did Chad Harris get into real estate investing? What's that story? Well, my story, I, so I was used to real estate investing. Um, my parents had rentals. I grew up working on rentals, weekends, after school, summers before football practice. You know, I was always around rentals, um, but I always saw the negatives. I always saw the tenants and the headaches and the maintenance and so later, when I, I was going into college and my parents kind of had the idea that I would someday take over, and I kind of said, you know, that's not really what I want. I'm going into teaching. I was passionate about teaching. And I went to school for teaching, eventually went overseas as a missionary. And as I was preparing to go overseas, that's when my father was getting ready to retire, and he gave me that you know, last opportunity, that last pitch of, hey, do you want me to hold on to any of these for when you get back? And I had him, you know, I really thought we were going to Kenya for good. And so I said, no, just sell it all. I, he was ready to retire. I said, you know, you need to work towards your retirement. Didn't want him to hold up his plans on my sake. And so I went to Kenya we had two kids at the time, and then our daughter was born there. And after four years, we came back, and our youngest son was born. And I had been, the last year in Kenya, I had been, you know, it's one of those things in a high-stress situation. I was needed an outlet. I needed something to think about outside of Kenya and the work in Kenya. So I started reading books. I could get a digital book to... Uh, what was that called? A Kindle? I don't use yep. those anymore, but yeah. <laughs> and I was reading real estate books and just thinking about it again from a new perspective, from an investing perspective. And 
So when we came back after the four years, our youngest son was born and I had actually bought a couple properties completely passively from Kenya. And then he was born and he had um, a bunch of health issues with uh, Down syndrome. He was born with Down syndrome and had trouble breathing. And we had a few months of just limbo where we weren't sure how he was doing. You know, every week was a different doctor's appointment and nobody knew really what was going on. And then finally he, he had to have a trach tube put in. And once he had that put in to help him breathe, he couldn't fly. We couldn't return to our work in Kenya. And so I had a couple months where I really had to figure out what I was gonna do next because we were living in a house that had been provided for us from a supporting church. We'd been loaned a car to use and our, all of our income was the missionary income. So I didn't, wasn't gonna have income, a place to live, a car to use, anything. So there's a, there's a desperate moment. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you go from what would I like to do with my life to <clears throat> we got to make something happen and, and uh, get some survival or security. It's more security. So and, would you say that was that your motivation as this transition was happening to get into real estate? Because you could have, you know, being a pastor, being a missionary, you have many traits, great people skills. You could have fallen into any single type of employment or starting a business. What was the motivation in real estate? So, yeah, I could have. I had options, but... At that point in my life, I had been feeling stress that my kids had had a really rough life. I had been involved in this great work and they were involved too. You know, it was a, the family was involved in ministry, but for me, the work was exciting and great. And for them, it just I weighed on me this internal stress of what their life was like. And that just got heavier when Bo was born and we had more stress and worry about how his life was going to turn out. And knowing that that impacted our other three children as well. And so when we couldn't return to Kenya, it was just a breaking point for me where, um, where I said, no matter what it cost me, I was going to provide a great life for them. And I didn't really care what I had to give up or what I had to do or what I had to persevere through. I was going to do something great for them. And for me, it seemed like real estate was the way to do that. So <clears throat> once we uh, made the decision to stay, well, made the decision, once we knew we were going <laughs> to stay, I just went full force into it and uh, really never looked back. So, and I, another part of that was that I was tired of living away from my family. I wanted my kids to be near my parents yeah. and my wife's parents and their extended family. And that was all part of providing something good for them. So. Yeah. So what, as you're transitioning into real estate, what real estate did you really kind of, obviously you have a backstory rentals, so it's natural to be comfortable. Is that where you slowly got involved? I mean, because you're coming out of a situation where you don't have tons of capital. 
Yeah, I didn't have much capital at all. <clears throat> I didn't have income. I didn't have really any way to borrow money from a bank or get a loan from a bank. And looking back, it would have made probably more sense to wholesale or gone into flipping or something where you um, make you know, your cash up front or you get chunks of cash quicker. But I was familiar with rentals and that's what I went into. That's yeah. all I did for the first three years of, of my investing was rentals. And my father had mentioned to me at some point that you could, he had read somewhere that you could um, borrow money or basically get loans from people using their retirement accounts, self-directed IRA. And so I, that's really what I did. I just did the Burr technique and I had become very good at raising money because of uh, raising support for ministry. And I'd become very familiar with that process and so I just started to use that those same techniques for raising money from private investors or private lenders. So, so a couple questions. Number one, what um, what did others around you? Let's get let's get a little bit personal and, and intimate because I think that's what really people want to see. Um, what what are others thinking about this move? Like, obviously, number one, your wife. Uh, but two, the closest people around you. So wait, you're going to not be a missionary and now you're going to go into real estate. Obviously, they knew your situation of what was taking you out of Kenya, but what was their response to going into this type of an endeavor? Yeah, I was, thankfully, first off, I was very blessed with, um, Kara was very supportive. My wife was supportive from day one. She really believed anything that I really pursued, I could succeed at. And so, you know, there were many times in the early years where we, I didn't know how I was going to pay my contractors at the end of the week, didn't know how we were going to come up with the money for many different things. But she was never critical of me or, or uh, questioning of me. She was always supportive and it always worked out, thankfully. That, <laughs> that helps, right? Yeah, so. Um, as far as other people, I think my parents were supportive because they had rentals. They were more familiar with real estate. I think a lot of people um, really just believed I could do what I set my mind to. I think that's how I was able to get um, investments from private lenders. They had seen me say that I was going to raise, you know, a half million dollars for the work in Kenya and moved to Kenya for four years and I did it and I was going to do this work in a difficult environment and I did it and I think I had a track record of doing what I said I would do. Um, but that said, there were plenty of people who asked, you know, that seemingly innocent question of, well, what are you going to do if it doesn't work out? Or how long are you going to give this a shot before you get a job? Or you know, those seemingly innocent questions that when you're the one receiving them just feel like a knife in the back or uh, a serious <laughs> criticism. And so for me, you know, I would always answer very positively um, that somebody's making money in real estate, my pat answer, and I'm going to be certain it's me, no matter what, right? That no matter what the market is, if it's a good market, a bad market, 
somebody in my area is going to be making money. And so if I put in the effort, if I work hard enough, if I spend the time on education, if I hustle, I can make myself be in that group. And so for me, I, you know, looking back now, I say there was never a moment where I said I wasn't going to turn back or I questioned it. Um, but that being said, in the day to day, there were plenty of days where I was frustrated and struggled. Well, that, there, there's definitely something to unpack here. So you're coming out of missionary, which means you're raising support. So there's real no, there's really no net worth there, right? So here's here's a question I have for you, and I think tons of people would want to know this because I think tons of people are probably paralyzed in this situation of you don't have any money yet you're going to go to these what we would call successful wealthy people and say, trust me with your money, even though I don't have any money because I've got this plan of what I'm going to do in real estate. So two questions, probably. The first one, how did you mentally get over that hurdle of it doesn't matter how much um, you got to charge this hill. So how did you beat that in the mind so that you could go ask people, hey, man, I've got something you should be involved in, even though I don't have any track record? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that is a struggle for a lot of people. So for me, it all, it all really um, formed in my mind during raising support for ministry. So when I started, I really struggled. I thought, I've got this amazing ministry. We're going to be drilling wells and providing irrigated gardens for kids who are hungry. And I should be able to raise money very easily. I know all these Christians and churches and I have this need. So I went out and I told them about the need and talked about what I was excited about for the work. And really I raised a little bit of money, but not that much happened. You know, it was kind of frustration on my part because I couldn't figure out why um, Christians who I knew cared about that, uh, filling that need, wouldn't necessarily provide for the need. Yeah. And it took a while um, for me to figure that out. But what I realized was obviously they do. The churches and the individuals I was speaking to, they care and they want to be involved. They want to address the needs. They want to serve Christ. They want to help the poor. And so if they weren't doing that, then I was getting in the way. There was something I was doing wrong. So it took a while for me to just take responsibility for that. And once I did, I realized that obviously they do. They want to be involved. They want to serve. They want to help the needy. And I have a way for them to do that. I just needed to present an opportunity. I just needed to get myself out of the way. So it wasn't necessarily about the need in the field but it was about the opportunity um, for a church or a believer here in the States to be involved in a work in Kenya and a vision for what their involvement was going to do. And once I switched just how I presented the work, then I could raise money very quickly. And, well, and, and that, that goes to like you just presented, there's a need but people don't give to need, they give to vision. And when you began to show the vision, 
and the opportunity, it was like, oh, okay, there's a way I could see this. I could be a part of this. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a clean drinking water need worldwide that I believe America could solve in one Halloween, that we just didn't buy Halloween candy for one Halloween. If you look at what just America <laughs> spends for candy just on Halloween, I think we could cure the world's clean drinking. I just, we got to present that in the right type of vision to get movement. So, so you, so you, so you get through that mental hurdle. So then take us through kind of the first, if you can remember an opportunity where you went and said, all right, I'm going to go present this opportunity to someone right now. I found a house. I want to do this. Did you find a house and then go find the money or did you just go find the money? So, yeah, I remember the, the very first meeting, you know, where I sat down and, and uh, gave that pitch and, Really, I had I already owned a couple houses, so I had bought a couple houses from Kenya, where I had saved money. There wasn't, I wasn't making much, but you really couldn't spend much where we lived either. So um, I had saved some money, and I knew my dad enjoyed buying houses. My brother-in-law was trying to to do property management and build a portfolio. So I said, "Hey, you know, I'm looking in these blocks of this type of house. If you find one, I'll buy it." And, and uh, he could manage it. Trying to just help everybody, get people involved. So I had a couple of houses and I didn't see the connection between raising money for ministry and raising money for real estate. I just started telling people that I was going into real estate and I was going to start buying houses. I didn't know how I was going to buy houses. I just knew I was going to be buying houses. And um, it was the father of a friend of mine, his mother, or I should say, um, his uh, mother and stepfather. And they said, hey, we're interested. You wanna come by and tell us about it? Thought, okay, great opportunity. And uh, we met and I told them what I was doing. And uh, they were, uh, basically, I just said, I'm buying rentals really cheap. I'm putting in work and I'm renting them out. And I told them, you know, basically presented the opportunity that if they were interested in getting involved, I would give them a mortgage, just like the bank, and it would be on a house that I already owned. I was going to give them a mortgage on that. And they said yes, which was eye-opening, you know, because in all honesty, it was surprising, you know, <laughs> it was like, I'm making the pitch, but I'm not really sure that it that it'll go well. And then I will never forget, he said, um, after we had agreed to terms and everything, he said, I've wanted to invest in real estate for a long time. I'm grateful for the opportunity. That's cool. And it was like it clicked. Yeah, that's cool. Opportunity. So just like with the ministry, there are people investing in all these different assets and they want to invest in real estate, but they don't know how. And so if I, just like with ministry, if I can put them into an opportunity and give them a vision for how that will affect their finances, how it will affect communities, how it will affect residents' lives, then I believed it would be easy to raise money. And so I just started telling everybody because it was the fact that I'm not asking for money. It's not me. I'm sharing this opportunity 
they have an opportunity to do what they want. I'm just the one who knows how to help them invest in real estate. And so I shouldn't be shy about it. I just need to tell more people. The more people I tell, the more I can help and serve. And so that's so, where it just took off. So work us through numbers, right? Because a lot of people are like, okay, this all sounds cool, but kind of tell me how it works numerically. You don't have to give us addresses or anything. Just give us kind of the, the, the parameters of an actual deal, right? You find a house, you're going to buy it, right? And are you buying it and then going now still looking for the money or, or now how, how, just kind of take us through like an actual numbers deal without, you know, you don't have to give us any addresses. Yeah. So early on, you know, I was, this was uh, what, 2012, 2013, was when I started and I did pretty much only burrs through 2015. And the basic numbers were I was getting fairly small loans and there were just a mass of foreclosures in our market, um, which is typical of the national market at that time, but especially Dayton was a really depressed um, area, really depressed rental market. And in those areas that I was used to working in with rentals, see neighborhoods, um, I could fairly easily get pick up houses that needed a bunch of work for, you know, 10,000, 12,000, something like that. And then once they were fixed up and rented out, they'd be worth 25, 30, 35,000, depending on where they're at. So they're not big numbers. It's nothing. Right. Nothing massive. And so like the first loan, I think was 10,000. So, so you go to a family and you say, Hey, I'm going to buy this house. It's 10,000. So I'm asking really, you're saying, here's the opportunity. You give me a $10,000 loan, just like somebody that goes and gets a hundred, 200, $300,000 loan for their own personal house. I'm coming to you for a $10,000 loan for this particular address. Yep. That's it. And then what are you going to, what what's the, what do they get for that? So the way I started, I, I wouldn't say this is the best way. I know much better ways now, but I was, um, you know, I was just trying to make it right any way I could. So the way I did it was I offered 10% to start 10% interest and I would have a pro forma for the house and say, this is about what we're going to cash flow. And I would, you know, deduct money for management, I deduct money for maintenance, even though, which is a wise thing to do, even though I was the one managing it and I was the one doing the maintenance in the early days. And then I would pretty much match the payment to the cash flow on that property, which is not at all wise. And at the time, it seemed wise because for them, they would get their money back quicker right? Which is what most lenders want. But what I realized later was that makes it much riskier because my cash flow is basically non-existent on that property. So, um, so the way I did it was I would do interest only for one year and then the payment would switch to amortized and would pretty much match the cash flow of the property. So that gave me one year where I had good cash flow. If I could uh, renovate it and rent it quickly, 
I would have really good cash flow because of a small payment. And as long as I replaced that property in a year, everything was good. So that meant that I had to just churn through properties. Um, and then when I would refinance it, usually there was a good chunk of money that, you know, if I put 20,000 into the property, you know, with purchase and rehab on those early ones, then the loan when I refinanced it with another private lender would be maybe 25. So what I just heard there was um, you use a lender for the 10 to buy the house real quick. Who do you use for the, where do you find the cash for the, for the rehab? So the rehab, some of it was, you know, when I would, when I first started, I think that first one, we still had our house provided. We still had a car. I really didn't have too many expenses. And so I was just putting in sweat equity and, and whatever materials. And a lot of the houses, they needed the pipes replaced because all the plumbing had been stolen. They needed some drywall repair and paint, but it wasn't to get it rent ready. It wasn't a massive amount of money that needed put into it. So, so that's how I started. After that, everything was from the refinance. So if I, that, you know, those first ones, if I refinanced with a private lender for 25, maybe I pulled five to live off of, and then I had 20 for the next house. So that and, would pay. And, and so like there, so you would go to a private lender, a person you knew, uh, most likely, buy the house. But then when it came to refinance, which I would guess would be somewhere between three to six months, usually every every time, you would go not to a bank, you would go back to another private lender, giving them an opportunity to make money on their money. Yes. Completely. So you weren't doing any so, institutional financing. Correct. So everything was private lenders. So, and that was all the way through, um, we had more than 50 properties when we got our first bank loan. So everything was private money until, until that point. And it just grew, you know, like, like finding deals. It was just talking to enough people that I could find enough uh, private lenders that I knew some liked short-term investments. Some liked investments where they didn't touch the money. They wanted it long-term and they wanted an amortized payment, right? Because they're in retirement or nearing retirement and they want cash flow. Some of them were using retirement money. And so they didn't really want the money back because it's just going into a retirement account. They just wanted it to earn a good return and be secured by real estate. And so I was good at presenting opportunities to people. And I was also good at figuring out creative ways to structure the deal so that they could get what they want and I could get cash flow because all I needed so, was cash flow. So uh, on that, a um, couple questions start bursting out. Number one, where are you going? What was your, you know, you kind of had a plan of what you wanted to do. Then what was your plan, your marketing strategy, if I can use that word, even though that's probably not what you would call it, to go find lenders? What did you do to get the word out that Chad's buying houses and if you would be willing to lend to him, he'll give you a good return? So I really just use the same techniques as, as uh, support raising. So you know, initially it was my very close circle. I would 
anybody who knew me well, I would bring it up or I'd tell them what I was doing. I had some people actually ask me because they had heard um, what I was doing. And then I just kept increasing that circle. You know, once I had talked to everybody who was very close to me, I talked to, you know, people that maybe they suggested or I hadn't talked to in a little while, but knew me. And eventually I even sent out emails to a bunch of people who knew of me, you know, knew my family or my wife's family and just initiating that conversation. What did you get? Did you have any mental hiccups there of what are people going to think if I send this out because they all know me as a missionary and now I'm sending it out as a money hungry real estate investor. Did you have that mental? (laughs) (laughs) Money hungry real estate. I know you're not. I know you're not, but I know that voice inside starts saying, what are these people going to think when they open this up? Yeah, I did. But I think it went along with, you know, there's, there's always that voice. You know, if you're trying to do something big or something out of the ordinary or something nobody else is doing, there's that voice in the back of your head saying, you shouldn't be doing this or it's not going to work or what are people going to say? And you just have to go through it. You know, I believed in what I offered. I believed I was presenting an opportunity. I believed I was going to succeed. And so I wasn't shy about it. You know, there was that voice there, but I just went ahead anyway. So I would definitely encourage anybody else. When you're hearing that voice, don't think that means you're doing something wrong. You know, just accept that as part of the process. And that's a a good topic down the line for us is how uh, how to quiet the voice, how to drown out the voice, how to stop the voice. I don't know what we'd call it, but... Everybody has that. Everybody has that like, okay, I'm hearing like 50, 100, 500, a whole network of people that are doing this, right? So I know it can be done, but then when people rewind and put it to them, all of a sudden that voice comes up and they're like, now you better go do it. And you're like, you're worried about what people think. And you really got to be healthy and understanding that it's not necessarily a bad thing for the voice. But if you can't overcome that voice, you sure as heck shouldn't be going out and asking people uh, for money, you know. And so um, that's interesting. So, so where do you sit today? Um, that's kind of how you started it. What were some struggles early on that you had to battle? And then what does it look like today, the way you go out and, and do hard money? I mean, uh, private money. Well, some, you know, early struggles, there were plenty of struggles along the way, like, like building anything, you know, um, I struggled, I, I, I couldn't do the work fast enough, I wanted to grow faster, and I was doing all burr, and the burr process is a fairly slow process, you know, you have to put in a lot of rehab, takes a while to refinance it out, and so I was hiring guys, Um, Initially, I hired guys to work with me, even though I didn't have enough rental income for me to live off of. It was just a leap of faith that I'm going to go through enough deals that the money from the refi will pay for their salary or their, you know, their expense. And I'll benefit them by giving them uh, guaranteed 40 hours and giving them continued work. 
And so that was a struggle learning to manage people. Eventually I switched to hiring contractors that didn't work with me, but they worked independently. And that was a big mental hurdle because, you know, I had to let go of a whole lot of things. And, and I, you know, I still have um, the first guy I hired who was completely independent. He still works for us. And I'm, I'm grateful he had patience because, you know, there was, there was some tension there many times um, through those years. So that, that was a struggle. When I got to about 45 units, I had a serious struggle where I just couldn't manage it. I didn't have any of the tools to manage the the tenants and the numbers. And so I was having sellers call. And just from the message, I knew it was an area I liked, you know, they, they were in a, you know, bad situation. They needed help, but I couldn't, like to me, just hearing the talking to them, it was that that's just going to put another burden on me. That's just another tenant. That's just another toilet. I can't deal with anymore. And so I was missing a whole bunch of opportunities and wasn't really living up to my vision for the business. Man, I wish I'd have known you then. (laughs) (laughs) So, and really that was only what, year and a half ago. Wasn't that long ago. Um, but thankfully I had, I had uh, talked to somebody who had many more units and I reached out to him and just kind of in a humble way saying, I know you've gone through a whole bunch of this already. Is there any way I do do coaching or is there any way I could hire you so that I could just benefit from your experience and you could help me put in those systems that can get me past where I'm at. And I think he had 120 or 140 at the time. And I am, you know, immensely grateful that I did. It was a very awkward thing for me to do um, because I was completely opening up and just saying, I got a major problem. Is there any way you can help? But within six months, you know, the tenant problem smoothed out because we built a system. I hired an assistant. Cash flow got better um, just because there weren't as many headaches. I wasn't spending money to try and put out the fires like I used to. And everything smoothed out and then we were able to grow again. So that that was a really pivotal point. Let me ask you a question real quick. I didn't ask it while ago. So you buy it, you borrow the 10, you buy it, you do the refi, another private lender. So in institutional financing, if you're gonna do a refi, you're right, it, it takes a while. It's not necessarily sometimes a bad idea, you just have to, you know, be ready with all the financials and the BPOs and there. So how did you structure a refi with a private lender? Because it seems to me that you would have a lot more flexibility there because really they're doing it based on the house performance, you know, to know they're going to get paid. So how did you set up a refinance with a private lender as opposed to institutional financing? Yeah, good question. I you know, it was much quicker. There wasn't a seasoning period. It was, you know, and really they didn't care what I bought it for and what I put into it. It was just, I would show, once I rented it, I knew what the market rent was. I would show a performa, you know, of 
what the rent is and what some comps were, what the value was. And when I was, you know, in the early years, I was doing 80% loan to value and, and comparing it to a conventional loan. Yep. And, and they were, my lenders were fine with that. You know, it was, it was more just a, a question of knowing me. My numbers were conservative. You know, I was doing 80% loan to value, but my value was low, you know, and, you know, it, everything in my mind was fairly conservative. So, so how did, how did, uh, then, okay. So they come in, they like the numbers, but were you setting it up on a, on a 30 year or were you doing like a five year, 30 year amortization? Like how long was their money going to be displaced in your, in your care? Yeah. So there was no set way. I wish I had like a pat answer. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, the first few loans, well, actually most of the loans were always interest only for one year and then amortized for some period. And some of those small loans might be amortized for, you know, four or five years. And it's just a, a hefty payment in the early years. Eventually we got, I was doing some bigger loans um, for 10, 12 year amortizations. For a while there, I got real big on the numbers really worked well, 8% eight years. I don't know why at that time, the deals I could find, and that was easy to promote. Right. So I just told everybody 8% eight years, no matter what um, amount you want to lend, I'll find a deal that fits it, you know, kind of presenting that opportunity that I'll do whatever legwork I can to help them get into the deal. And so, so I did lend that way. Okay, currently, so currently, do you, do you have uh, more money and looking for more houses or you have more houses and looking for more money? Well, so yeah, real quick. So currently the way I struck, the way I structure them changed and I realized I had thought that they want, that the lenders really wanted their money back. Um, until I had a lender that I was doing interest only on. And I think it was a, it was a one year note and I paid him back like the sixth month and he was disappointed. And there was that question in my mind, like, why is he disappointed? You know, so I talked to him about it and, you know, he explained that it's not money he really needs. It's money he invests. And so just like buying a stock, you don't want that stock to start selling itself off each month. You know, you want, he would want his investment to yeah. stay in that stock. So I thought, well, that makes complete sense. You know, it's kind of like eye opening for me. And so I said, Hey, I'll find you another deal. Let's do it again. And realizing that the, you know, the private lenders, they don't want their money back. They just want it secured and they want to know it's getting a good return. So I changed, I mean, that gave me freedom to change how I structured it. So yeah. I did interest only. I did, um, started doing no payment where the interest just accrues into the principal for a while. And it really gave me flexibility to do a whole bunch of things. So right now, pretty much I'll do, um, 15 year amortization at 6% or 
depending on the deal. Interest only loans, you know, that we just keep extending the balloon or no payments for one or two years and then it rolls into interest only or amortized. So, and, and with that flexibility, it just became immensely easier. And then right now, so recently, I had this like, I don't know what you would say. So I was good at raising private money. And when I started, I didn't have any income. It didn't matter what I did. There was no way I could go to a bank and get a loan. And once I started to make money, I actually went to the bank and tried to refinance our house. This was maybe like 2017. It wasn't that long ago, right? And I had this idea that I got a bunch of money coming in. And I have a whole bunch of equity in my house. I'm raising money for deals. Why don't I just pull out some of this equity in my house? It seemed like a no brainer till I turned in my taxes for the loan application. And the guy looked at me real puzzled and asked a few questions. And I tried to explain how my business operates and and he said, okay, yeah, yeah, this should work. And then a month later he wanted, you know, a big stack of paperwork. And then a month later he wanted another stack of paperwork. And then six months later, we're still not getting an answer. And I thought, this is insanity. I'm just gonna go raise the money from somebody who wants to lend me the money. It's not like I'm the beggar going yeah. to the bank, you know? And so I kind of put bank money out of my mind and just said it wasn't worth the time or energy. And that was kind of a weakness. And recently, earlier this year, I thought, you know, I'm gonna go and just bundle up some properties and do a cash out refinance. And so I did that process, got a big chunk of money that, you know, that was equity converted to cash so that we can buy more properties. And then a really amazing thing happened. So, that first loan was six properties, five of them had a loan. And the bank actually liked that the, the houses in the, in the bundled loan had mortgages on them because their payment, combined payment, was gonna be less than the current individual payments. So that gave the bank security, right? So we did this refinance and all the investors got paid off on those houses. Well, I had already called them and I'd talked through the process with them and explained to them that it wasn't that I didn't want to provide an investment for them. It was just that I need to re needed to restructure some of the debt. And once they receive their payoff, if they still want to continue with an investment, I'll give them another investment. I don't didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to harm their investments in any way or cause them any problems for something I was doing. And so they understood that and four out of the five, when they received their money, they, you know, just reinvested it with me. So one of them was just at a different stage in life. And, you know, that happens. Yeah. They had, they had somewhere else to put the money. So it was, I mean, it was eye opening again, cause uh, this is a good deal. I get yeah. all this money from the bank, the investors reinvest their money. And so um, we're continuing that process 
Right now, it is very easy to raise money. It is unbelievably easy to raise money because the stock market is so volatile. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the next few months. And so anybody who is investing money in the stock market or any other um, asset, they want some kind of return, but they don't want the volatility of the market or the risk of their principal in the market. And so it's very easy to offer this opportunity into real estate where they can diversify some of their portfolio, get a good return on their money and have it secured by real property. So we are in a spot right now with the business where we have a lot of money to invest and it's just a struggle to find those deals. So, so are you on that real quick? Are you open? Are you looking uh, to invest outside of what you normally do? Like if the return is good and there's that security in the real estate, um, I know it's not your property, but would you invest with another investor who has a property if you know that you can show the returns that you need? I honestly haven't considered it. It's <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, you have the properties. Um, I mean, sorry, you have the financing, and if you don't have the properties, which a lot of times happens, you know, you start getting on this good roll of raising capital, and you're like, man, but I got to find deals which we'd love to help you find deals, but, um, but there's already some deals out there. Like for us, Chad, one of the things we're trying to do is we love wholesaling um, uh, and always want to have it. But there's something about, um, you know, you start cherry picking and taking some of those properties where you're like, it's just, it's a smarter investment, like you say, to go the slower route of a BRRR because in the long term of tax benefits and, and the mailbox money and all that, it's just smart. Not to mention the refinance, you know, you can make a wholesale fee in the refinancing uh, of that property. So it's something to think about. So that kind of leads me into then, um, what are your goals now? Yeah, my goal is so, you know, about uh, six months ago, I was in that transition where suddenly I had a bunch of time freed up because I built the management system, assistance, I'd gotten the people in place to really do the property management well. So arrival homes, our real estate business was going very well. And what my heart and my passion is for is teaching. And so I started True Wealth Investors and that was just a side business with the podcast and a course and coaching and it was really a way for me to, to have an outlet for that passion to teach and help and encourage others. So, so I have goals for both, you know, with Arrival Homes, we have a management system that could easily handle uh, 80 units or more. And so we're looking to grow our units. Um, recently, we did a deal where we bought a house all cash and then resold it on contract to a homeowner. And I loved that deal. You know, I didn't meet them in the screening process because my assistant handles all the applications and screening and approval, but I met them at the closing table. And it was awesome. 
they were talking about the house and what they loved about it. And it had a, it was an old historic house, had a barn in the back and the animals they were going to raise in the barn and the difference their kid's life was going to be because now they have a house with a yard compared to what they were coming from. I loved that deal and knowing the impact it would make in the family. Real quick, that deal is you took the property down, right? Yep. And then instead of, if I'm hearing you right, instead of there being a bank, you're the bank, right? And they're going to buy the house from you, like a seller financing type opportunity, correct? Similar, yeah. So I bought the property all cash with a private lender. Yep. So they provided all of the money. The private lender got a mortgage on the house, just like a bank. They knew what I was planning with the house. And then we sold it on, yeah, on terms to a seller where they put some money down. We did a little bit of work to the house, just making sure it was, you know, ready to go. It just needed some paint, carpet. And then, yeah, so they bought it on contract and the buyer pays us monthly. Yep. And it really worked out for everybody. Investor is very happy, buyer's happy. You're getting a passive income, but now you're no longer a landlord. So when something breaks, they're fixing it themselves. Right. Yeah. So you get you get a little bit less each month, but you don't have any of the expenses of management, maintenance, any of that. Yep. So yeah. Cool. And and you're providing people forget this. You're providing affordable housing. I mean, that is a problem that we have in America. And so there's knocks on real estate investors, but there's a lot of positive they're doing. They're trying to go in and, and make homes that, that are bringing neighborhoods down. They're trying to refresh and give them new life. And like you said, a family comes in and says, our kids have a yard now. We're going to have a farm. We're going to have a family. I mean, you change this person's life. It's not just numbers. You know, I tell people this is a relationship business. There are numbers involved, but this is highly relational on every single part. The getting the lender, getting the buyer, a contractors, you know, it ultimately all comes down to relationships. Completely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So where are you heading now? Like what, what's it, what do you, you know, where do you see yourself in, I don't know, two to three years? I mean, you've got tons of wisdom. You've got synergy. I mean, you've got two things. Uh, real quick, I, I just, because I'm always, I love it. Like, how did your company get the name Arrival Homes? Yeah, so Arrival Homes, I don't know. I, I was uh, researching synonyms to success, I think, <laughs> and um, came across the phrase like, you've arrived. Yeah. And I thought, hey, I kind of like, I kind of like that. Arrival Homes, and okay. So I went with the name and now like our, our videos um, for showings, we do virtual showings. And then, you know, we got this digital explosion of the logo kind of thing. And you know, we have the logo and then the like phrases, stop searching, you've arrived. Kind of like that. Cool. So, I want to see, I want to see one of those. Please give me a link to your digital uh, promotions, maybe even attach it to this podcast. I think people would want to see that. Sure. Um, so, so what Sounds do you good. see two to three years? You've got that set. Sounds like you can go up to 80 homes. True wealth is something that you seem to, to have passion for and, taking everything that we're talking about and passing it on to others. So you wake up in two years, what, what's going on then? Yeah. So I want us to continue to build our portfolio of rentals. Um, we have, 
embedded in our rentals, you know, a portion of the rent goes to the ministry in Kenya, the rental support ministry in Swaziland. And so I love the idea of building that portfolio and just increasing the impact. I love dreaming of what impact that portfolio could have. Much less, you know, there's a, obviously I want income and I want a lifestyle for my, my kids and my family. But beyond that, I want this big impact. And I know that it impacts the communities we work in and the houses we renovate and that impacts the families here. But I want that to have a great impact in Africa as well. And so that's what I envision in a couple of years with the rentals. True Wealth Investors, I, I'm really enjoying it. And we're kind of on the cusp of just building it. So I'm excited to see what will come from it. But I love teaching, sharing, encouraging others, helping them, you know, build a business that supports their dreams. And so I envision, you know, having more coaching clients, building a mastermind. And eventually, um, I would ideally love to see where we have um, different seminars in, in different locations around the country. And we can just pour in a whole bunch of uh, value to people and really help jumpstart their businesses. Well, and you said that right there, and that's something that you and I have gravitated towards and that's helping people, uh, giving them wisdom, advice, direction, resources to get started. What a couple of things right now, they're like, Oh man, I want to be where Chad's at now, but I'm nowhere near that. I don't know the first thing. What would be just a couple of things that you would pass on to say, here's a couple of things you could do to find out more to get started in real estate or a couple of things that just says, Hey, get started. Yeah. Kind of first steps. I mean, definitely try to, you know, build your education, your knowledge, listen to podcasts like this one, other podcasts, read books, um, there, we are living in a great age where you can get a whole bunch of information very easily. So that's a very easy first step. I would say get around other investors because a, a real benefit when you hear that nagging voice kind of telling you you can't do it or questioning whether you can do it is being around people who have done it or are doing it and just getting that camaraderie of other people with similar goals. Definitely clarify your goals. So you need to know where you want to be, why you want to get there, what impact is it going to have on your family if you accomplish it. Um, and once you really nail down your goals, know where you want to go, just take that first step to get there. You don't have to see the whole thing. You don't have to know how it's all going to work out. Just know the direction you want to go and take the first step. And when you accomplish that, take the next step and it'll, it'll work out on the way. I couldn't agree more. I saw it in three components. I mean, one, educate yourself. If you don't have money, there's plenty of free resources out there. That's number one. Two, find a coach. Find somebody who's who's doing the things that you like, that you relate to. Uh, and then three, I think that's where most people struggle is you just got to jump. You just got to go do it. You know, I, I kind of have that picture of, I have a couple of images, but one is you're kind of on a track, you know, kind of going the way everybody's going but you really kind of want to see what's in and on the other side of that forest. And so sometimes you just jump off the track with a machete and you just start, 
you just start figuring it out. You know, you know, there's this beautiful spot that you want to get to, but you just got to kind of, you know, carve out your own trail. And I, I think the first two people get, um, but I, what I sense is that they get to that point of it's time to jump and, and they don't want to jump. And to me, the first two are great, but I educated myself so much out of the desperation of needing to make money that I just had to go do a deal and learn. And I learned a ton on that first deal because, and then when I, the second thing I learned was every single deal is different. Even though it's a house and a real estate transaction, there's personalities involved. There's deep problems with the house or whatever, you know, but just carving that path or, or working through the process to get to the end on that deal is just like, you know, creating this, this whole business. So I couldn't agree more that you got to educate but you also got to jump. Yeah. So, and if you, you know, just a, a word of encouragement, I really appreciate what you were saying and just what's coming through to me for those people who just struggle with that jump, you know, that first step and it feels like this giant leap, then, you know, get somebody to walk beside you. You just have to take the first step. The second one's easier than the first and the third one's easier than that. You know, just get somebody to help you through that first step. So, and whatever it is you need, figure out how to get it. Because you need to just fix in your mind that you're going to succeed. You're going to do whatever it takes to get where you want to be. And uh, yeah. I got two more questions. One is why I, I think we've heard it. Obviously, you have a passion for your wife and kids and, and creating a generational wealth for them. And you're not only doing that by finances, you're giving them in the education of watching their dad do all of this, which who knows how many of those children are just going to go right into that same business with you. Obviously, there's a passion for uh, uh, the ministry and the needs of Kenya. Does that is that pretty much when you wake up, what drives you is, is family and then the opportunity to provide for those people that you started early on in Kenya? Yeah, my primary things, you know, I remember early on, I laid out what would it take in my life to feel secure because everything was up in the air. What do I need to nail down so I feel secure? And then what do I need to nail down so I feel comfortable? And then what would wealth what would i what would i need to truly feel wealthy you know and in there it was having enough income that i don't worry every month how we're going to make it that my kids have certain things and so for me you know the end goal the true wealth is i have enough income to provide for my family and not just right now but generationally and i have a lifestyle that I really want and cherish. And I create memories with my kids and I, I have adventures with them and we have things that we share a passion for and work towards together. And true wealth has to include an impact that I'm leaving my community better. I am leaving the world a better place. And for me, that passion, you know, goes to Kenya and goes to ministry in Swaziland and that that's where I feel called to be involved but um, I think we can we can have an impact wherever we're at 
you know, we're all being used in different ways and have different opportunities. But for me, that's what it comes down to. That's my why. I'm definitely sensing that with with your ministry background and my ministry background and our heart for people that, man, there's something there in investigating in all of our networks of creating a something that gets that's a vehicle to get these resources to to other parts of this country and other parts of the world because there's a desire for me to help some things going on here in America and then I have a mentor uh, in ministry that is doing uh, ministry throughout Europe uh, and just getting the gospel to go forward and man there, there's there's something there because of what you and I we've been in that world and we're in this world and we know those guys we know anybody in a real estate world that's successful tithes or gives or understands that if I don't look to help other people, my wealth is going to, is going to shrivel up and die. And so I think we need to create a vision there too, of helping these guys say, Hey, don't know where to put your money. Here's some opportunities has nothing to do with us. We don't benefit whatsoever financially, but we know some needs um, where, where your success could really help. And then even get some of those guys to go with us and set foot on some of those places. That would be just a joy. Yeah, man. Now you're talking. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. That was the whole reason I got into this. I just got to find the right team. And it's all about collaboration. So last thing, obviously, if somebody just randomly ends up with this podcast, that's awesome. Go find a lot of things about you as far as getting connected. But what are are some places that they could go to read up a little bit more about you and what you're doing? Or even if they just say, man, that guy, I want to invest in him. Uh, or with him, um, I want to reach out to him and, and find out how I can make some of my money work in his real estate transactions. How would they find you? Yeah, you can find me all over the place. You know, we have a website, truewealthinvestors.com. Um, best way to contact me is through email through that website, chad at truewealthinvestors.com. You can find True Wealth Investors on Facebook, True Wealth Investors on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook, any of those routes, you'll get to me. So if uh, you have a question, want to reach out, definitely be more than welcome. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to swivel the desk back to you because it's technically your podcast and, and let you take us out of here. All right. Sounds good. Well, I uh, appreciate everybody listening. I hope you got some good content. I hope you got some encouragement and uh, really some ideas to help get you where you want to go. Because I know real estate is a great tool to build your dream life and whatever I can do to help you get there. And Chris, I really appreciate you coming on. I really admire you and the work you do. And I know um, you just really have a heart to serve. So I look forward to working together on additional things in the future. Absolutely. All right. Well, for everybody listening, keep building your dream life one door at a time. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey. Thanks for listening.